It's my pleasure to introduce to you our next speaker on topical psoriasis. Dr. Linda Stein Gold is the Director of Clinical Research at the Department of Dermatology in Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. She previously served as a Senior Staff Physician, Associate Director of Dermatology at the Henry Ford Health System. She completed her medical degree at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, then an internship in internal medicine at the hospital in Pennsylvania, and followed by her residency at the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. Would you please join me in welcoming to the podium Dr. Steingold? Okay, for my, my second lecture, I'm going to change hats and talk about the thing that I, I also love, and that's the treatment of acne. And so this afternoon, I'm, or actually this morning, I'm going to talk about top, what's new in the topical treatment of acne. And just as a reminder, I run the clinical trials at Henry Ford, so I have lots of experience in, in running studies, especially a lot of acne studies. And these are my disclosures that are relevant for this particular lecture. So you might ask exactly what qualifies me to kind of stand up here today and talk about the topical treatment of acne. And as I mentioned, I've done probably 75 different studies with acne. I see thousands of acne patients. I myself have had acne. But I use my kids as my example for why I'm truly an acne expert, because in this picture they look pretty good, but in reality they've had very, very difficult acne to control, so they've been on probably every different treatment regimen. And I think anybody who's had, especially a teenager in the home, really understands much better about what, what is involved. And I'll tell you that my, my prescribing habits have changed dramatically as I've watched my own children go through this whole acne process, and it's made me treat in a, a much different way in that I keep my prescribing habits much simpler and I'm much more aggressive at the outset. Well, to talk a little bit about the pathophysiology of acne, this was our traditional model. We understood that acne starts with a microcomedo or a little clog of the hair follicle and then we see that it develops into either non-inflammatory acne, which would be a closed or open comedone, or inflammatory acne, which would be a papule, pustule, or potentially a cyst, nodule. But we understand now that the, the pathophysio pathophysiology of acne is, is really changing. What we understand now is that the role of inflammation is much more important. And we understand that inflammation is something that's occurring much earlier in the development of the acne lesion, and it's lingering much longer. And we have some studies that show that, that inflammation is actually there even before the first acne, acne lesion is seen or even developing under the skin. This was a study that was done that involved taking biopsies from acne patients, looking at involved skin, uninvolved skin of acne patients and normal patients, and looking at some of the inflammatory markers to see when are we starting to see the first signs of inflammation. And what we find is that perifollicular inflammation is actually present even before that hair follicle clog or the microcomedo. We're seeing elevated levels of CD4 in this skin, much higher than what we see in, in normal skin. We see increased IL-1 levels. We see uh, macrophages starting to come into the, the acne-prone skin area. And the bottom line is this provides evidence that says that inflammation is actually the first step and, not, and that actually precedes the microcomedo. So now we have subclinical inflammation, then this little microscopic clog of the hair follicle, and then the non-inflammatory or the inflammatory lesions. And sometimes we don't even get this. Sometimes the subclinical inflammation can lead directly into an inflammatory lesion. This actually makes a lot of sense because sometimes we use just 
anti-inflammatory products, and we see an improvement in the closed and the open comedones. Why would that be if they're non-comedogenic? You know, if they just have anti-inflammatory properties. Well, the reason is we're blocking, we're stopping it here, which potentially can have effects both on the non-inflammatory as well as the inflammatory acne lesions. As I mentioned, so acne inflammation is the, the first one to get there. It's also the last one to leave. We see a lot of patients who have dispigmentation or some atrophic scarring, and we usually think that the acne is pretty much gone and it's just left a little bit of residual. But when we do studies now and really look at the atrophic scarring and the dispigmentation, we actually find that there, there's still evidence of inflammation. So it, it comes in much earlier and it lasts much longer than we traditionally had thought. Well, when we talk about topical treatment of acne, we have a, a few standard treatments, standard of care. We talk about topical retinoids, antibiotics, benzoyl peroxide, and then the fixed combination products. Topical retinoids really have been kind of a gold standard in topical acne care. They're the ones that go in there and they unclog the clogged hair follicle. They have great comedolytic properties. But we also know that they have some nice anti-inflammatory properties too. They actually inhibit toll-like receptor type 2, which is key in the inflammation of, of the development of acne lesions. Topical retinoids do not kill P. acnes at all, but they do help to enhance follicular penetration when they're used with topical antibiotics. And they're very, very important for the maintenance of remission. We have to educate our acne patients they watch TV and they see, you know, zap the zit. Go ahead and everybody wants to put toothpaste or put something on an acne lesion as it comes up. And they're upset. Why am I constantly breaking out? Well, you're breaking out because the first sign of acne, before you even see a pimple or a blackhead or a whitehead, is underneath the skin and then it develops. So maintenance of remission is critical. The patients have to treat the entire acne prone area in order to keep a clear complexion. So if they're constantly going to dots and, and treat the, the spots that they see, they will have acne forever. So one of the first conversations you should have with your patients is you treat the whole area. And just like with psoriasis, once you're clear, can you stop? Absolutely not. No, you cannot stop. I'm still treating my acne. It's been years and years and years. But you, know, you want to continue to make sure that you don't develop the initial signs of acne before you see it manifest on the skin. Topical tretinoin was the first of the topical retinoids that became available. Um, it was a little bit of a rough product to use, especially because the vehicle was a little bit, uh, a little bit tough on the skin. So we saw a lot of retinoid, topical retinoid irritation. And we tended to tell our patients, your skin's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And part of that was really just the inflammation. Maybe some patients got a little bit worse before they got better, but they certainly, most of them got a lot of redness and flaking and, and even possibly a little bit of swelling. We now have better formulations that actually have really minimized that whole problem. Every topical retinoid will give you a little bit of a retinoid problem, but it's, they're much, much better tolerated than they've been in the past. The other issue that's really important with topical tretinoin is that it is not stable in light and not stable in ben with benzoyl peroxide. So if you write a prescription for a tretinoin and your patient gets a generic tretinoin and they wash their face with a benzoyl peroxide wash and then go outside, well, that's, too, that's kind of a double whammy because tretinoin is not stable. With some of the newer formulations, the microgel, the microsphere, uh, we get better, better stability and they're, they're able to prevent the breakdown of the tretinoin much better than with the traditional vehicle. 
we now have a micronized tretinoin molecule. And what happens with this particular molecule is that normally tretinoin, um, it comes in, in raw tretinoin comes in a very large particle size. And any topical drug has to get to the site of activity. And the site of activity is gonna be down the hair follicle. Well, the hair follicle diameter is 66 microns. So we have to make sure that the particle size is small enough that it's gonna get down into the, the follicular orifice. And the micronized tretinoin provides these, these much smaller particles that very rapidly could get, can get down to the site of action. Also, micronized tretinoin is much more stable with light and benzoyl peroxide. When we look at the efficacy assessment of micronized versus microsphere versus vehicle, we see that the microsphere might be a little more efficacious, but not statistically better than the micronized. They're both better than the vehicle. But it does appear that the micronized tretinoin does seem to be a little bit better tolerated than the microsphere tretinoin. One issue that comes up is what about kids? Most all these drugs are FDA approved for age 12 and up, but what about the younger kids? And we've done a number of studies looking at topical treatments in this younger population. This particular study looked at patients aged 8 to 12 and looked at uh, tretinoin microgel, the 0.4%. And it's surprising to find that a lot of these patients had moderate, you know, half of them had mild and half of them had moderate acne. And 75% were clear or mild after 12 weeks. So topical retinoids can be used, especially with these better vehicles, in younger patients. The main side effect in about 30% was, was some local irritation, usually occurs in the first two to three weeks. Topical adapalene, different molecule, different topical retinoid. What's unique about topical adapalene is that the, the molecule itself is stable and light and stable with benzoyl peroxide. So you don't, it's just the molecule is fine. You can use it and go out in the sun potentially or use it in, with the benzoyl peroxide and it doesn't get broken down. It also is better tolerated in general than, the, than um, at least the traditional tretinoins. Tazeratine is the third of the topical retinoids that became available. Um, I talked about topical tazeratine with psoriasis, and again with acne, we see it's a pregnancy category X. Pregnancy category X mainly because it was also FDA approved for psoriasis. Tazeratine works well, but the irritation profile can be a little bit challenging. So you have to use it in patients who are able to, to tolerate the side effect profile. And if they can, they usually notice nice efficacy. Antibiotics are obviously antibacterial and they do have some anti-inflammatory properties. And what's also interesting is we do see in, in studies with topical antibiotics, some mild comedolytic activity. Why is that? Why would it unclog the hair follicle if it's just an anti-inflammatory or antibiotic? Well, probably because it's getting that first step of the subclinical inflammation that then is leading to the, the clogged hair follicle. So we're seeing it much treating at the, the very first step in the pathogenesis of acne. The issue with antibiotics is we do worry about bacterial resistance. When I was a resident, we used topical antibiotics for months or years at a time, and we didn't really care. I mean, we used it by itself and didn't think twice about it. 
The problem is we're seeing much less efficacy, especially with erythromycin as time goes on. So we really recommend that if you're gonna use an antibiotic, you use it in combination with the benzoyl peroxide. So topical erythromycin, the vast majority of people are completely resistant to erythromycin and we've seen significant decrease in efficacy. We see a lot of resistance now with clindamycin. We have seen some decreased efficacy, but we do worry that possibly we're gonna see the same trend that we saw with erythromycin with clindamycin if we use these drugs long-term without a benzoyl peroxide on board. Topical dapsone is the newest of the topical um, anti-inflammatory properties. We've used it systemically. Now we have it topically. It actually is mainly used for its anti-inflammatory properties. There has been no reported activity against P. acnes. And one thing that was looked at at, at, at length was whether or not you have to worry about patients who have uh, low, low G6PD deficiency, and does the, do you have to worry when you're using topical dapsone? And the answer is no, you don't have to check any blood levels, it's fine to use. Also, is it safe with patients who have a sulfa allergy? And the answer is yes, it's fine. Some of the studies were looked at where they, they dissected out uh, treatments results with men versus women, and it does appear that it, the drug tends to work a bit better in, in women than in, in men. Just an example of a patient at baseline and then at week 12. Okay, benzoyl peroxide. Benzoyl peroxide, a lot of people think of as kind of an old-fashioned drug. Who cares about benzoyl peroxide? It's been around forever, our grandparents had it, why should that be taking center stage today when we have so much new technology and new drugs? Well, benzoyl peroxide is absolutely critical for the treatment of acne. It's a wonderful, wonderful drug and is becoming more important as we look at bacterial resistance. The mechanism of action, it has great antibacterial activity and there is no P. acne's resistance. So what that means is you can give patients a prescription or they can get it over the counter, benzoyl peroxide, you could use it for 10 years and they're not gonna become resistant to it. So that's, that's wonderful. The other issue is it suppresses the emergence of resistant strains when used with an antibiotic. So if you're using an antibiotic alone, you'll see after about eight weeks, resistance will occur. If you use it with a benzoyl peroxide, resistance doesn't tend to occur, at least to the same extent as if you use it alone. We also see really nice reduction in inflammatory as well as non-inflammatory lesions. You can see some side effects. You can get, definitely get some local irritation with benzoyl peroxide. You might ask how much is enough? We have two, two and a half percent. We have a, you know, four, five, six, eight, ten percent benzoyl peroxides. How much do we need to use? Initial studies showed us that 2.5% benzoyl peroxide and 5% benzoyl peroxide were fairly similar in terms of using a gel twice a day to treat inflammatory lesions, and 2.5% and 10% were fairly similar in, in reducing inflammatory lesions. And what was found was when we look at the reduction of P. acnes, after one week with a 2.5% gel, 97% reduction in P. acnes, and after two weeks, 99% reduction. So you're really killing the P. acnes with this lower concentration. Higher concentrations lead to more irritation and it's really not mandatory to do that. So if you look at the newer fixed concentration um, drugs that have come out, they're utilizing the 2.5% as opposed to the 5 or the 10%. 
This is a study, you know, now benzoyl peroxide by itself is pretty much over the counter. We don't have lots and lots of studies looking at the efficacy of benzoyl peroxide. And as I mentioned, particle size is very important. You really have to have the appropriate vehicle, the appropriate particle size to get the best efficacy with any topical agent. And that's true with benzoyl peroxide. So we don't have lots of studies with, especially the over-the-counters. This was a study that was done looking at an OTC 5.5% benzoyl peroxide that's formulated in combination with a lipohydroxy acid. This study was done where they took two, two arms of the study and everybody got topical tretinoin cream. Half the patients used the OTC benzoyl peroxide 5.5%. The other half used the prescription uh, clindamycin benzoyl peroxide 5%. And they basically found that there was no statistical difference between the two arms of the study, showing that this drug did have some good efficacy. What about cleansers? Are they good enough? This was a study that looked at benzoyl peroxide cleanser used with patients who had resistant strains of P. acnes. And there were 30 adult patients, and this is being used on the face. So this is, I'm gonna contrast this in a little bit. So they took 30 patients who had resistant strains of P. acnes, and everybody got a 6% benzoyl peroxide cleanser, and they washed for three weeks under supervised and standardized conditions. What does that mean? The patients came into the study center and washed their face, and they were timed for 20 seconds to make sure they left the benzoyl peroxide on for 20 seconds, then rinsed, then went home. And they took levels of the P. acnes over the course of each one of these weeks, and what they found was, first of all, at baseline, all the, patient had, all the patients had some strains that were resistant to antibiotics. Notice that all 30 had high levels of resistance to erythromycin, minocycline, doxycycline, tetracycline. Clindamycin was also tested and found the same thing. Most patients had some levels of resistance, either low levels or high levels. So when you use a benzoyl peroxide wash, can you get efficacy in killing these bugs that are resistant to so many different antibiotics? Well, what they found was that over the course of the three weeks, this is, this is a logarithmic scale, so little tiny changes mean a big deal, but what they found was they were able to reduce the, the population of the P. acnes just by using the benzoyl peroxide wash alone. Now, let's take a look at another study. This study looked at using a, a benzoyl peroxide 8% cleanser, but now we're not looking at the face, we're looking at the trunk or the back and they looked to see the reduction of P. acnes when they used a cleanser, and they compared that with a Levon 5.3% foam. And what they found was when patients just used the cleanser on their chest and back in the shower, and then they measured the levels of P. acnes, they found that, you know what, the cleanser didn't work. They were not able to get, show reduction of P. acnes with the cleanser, but with Levon foam, they did quite well. In fact, after two weeks, 99% reduction of P. acnes. So it's possible if we're giving our patients a cleanser to use for chest and back acne, it might not be enough. And remember, in the first study for the face, it did work, but they were, they were supervised. They were watched. They put it on for 20 seconds. Most kids, teenagers, when they get in the shower, if they use soap at all, we're ahead. If they use it for 20 seconds, that's a good amount of time. Most people do not use it that long. Well, this was another study that said, okay, well, still, if we're treating the trunk, the chest, and the back, you know, we might not want to leave on product because the bleaching properties of, of benzoyl peroxide can be especially a problem on the trunk. So what if we try a short contact 
experiment. And this was a single center study also done by Jim Layden, where he had patients apply this um, foam to dry skin. They massaged it in for 20 seconds, and then they left it on for two minutes. And then they went ahead and washed it off. Again, this is supervised. Monday through Friday, they came into the study center. Somebody massaged it for 20 seconds. They timed it for two minutes and then wiped it off. And then on the weekends, they did it themselves. Well, what they found was when they used short contact therapy, applying it to dry skin, leaving it on, massaging it, leaving it on, and then looked at the reduction of P. acnes, it did work. So they were able to show at two weeks a 98% reduction in P. acnes. One week, a little bit short of that. Two weeks, they were able to get pretty good efficacy. So there is a way potentially to use a benzoyl peroxide on the, on the body without the, risk, the same type of risk of bleaching. So the conclusions were, were that the application of the 9.8% foam to non-moistened skin for two minutes was, was effective and also safe. It was well tolerated. And this is a study that shows uh, the importance of using the benzoyl peroxide with the antibiotic. Here we see the antibiotic alone at eight weeks. We start to see right after eight weeks the development of resistance. When we use it in combination with the benzoyl peroxide, we don't see the same extent of resistance developing. Okay, how are we going to be the best prescribers possible in the area of dermatology and especially in the area of acne? And I think the key here is what I learned when I was in high school from a, a premier scientist at our local university who when we came in there, we were, we were science students and we came in to learn from this big professor. And the, no, the number one thing that he said to us was, was kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and, and the bottom line was the simpler you keep your thought process, the simpler you keep your treatment regimen, the more likely you are to have success. And I think with an acne patient, this couldn't be more true. We've talked about compliance earlier in the day. Patients are non-compliant, and that's especially true of teenagers. They are not gonna be sophisticated in what they do. They're barely gonna wash, barely gonna wash their face. You will get some that are, are type A, and especially girls who wear makeup and have lots of products and things, but for the vast major majority of them, even adults, they don't do what we think they're going to do. So that's why clinical trials and real life, there can often be a disconnect. In clinical trials, when we watch you, we pay you, we put it on for you, we might see one result. We might see something very different when the patient actually gets it home, as in my household, and have to be reminded, or I, as a neurotic mother, will go in with the medicine on a Q-tip at night and paint my kids' faces because I know that they, they, I don't even know if they wash their face, but at least this way I know they got one application of medicine on. Combination therapy makes it a lot easier for patients to, to do and treat multiple pathogenic features of acne. And I, I, I'd say when you use a combination product, you know, I think you have the control in the hands of the prescriber. When you give patients lots of things to do, the control is in the hands of the patient. So if I give you three things to do when you get home, I don't know what you're gonna do. You're gonna pick and choose. And how many of us have patients that walk in and after two weeks they go, oh, this one doesn't work. This one works. Well, how do you know? I don't even know which one works. And the other thing is patients come in with a bag. Every one of us has a patient who comes in with a bag and they, they kind of pull out all their stuff. And you see all kinds of things. A lot of them are the same products, just different brands of the same thing. Half of them are unopened. Most of them they haven't. And you say, oh, so you know, how are you using this? And they go, you know what, we don't, I don't know. I got this one, I got this one, I got this one. I'm not sure which one. 
they're, they're generally, what I say, incapacitated by fear. They're afraid to do the wrong thing and they don't know what the right thing to do is. So keep it simple. The easier it is if you can give somebody one topical, one oral, I think you're gonna have the best approach. We have a number of fixed combinations. The first one to come available was a combination erythromycin benzoyl peroxide. This utilized the 5% benzoyl peroxide gel. But as I mentioned, erythromycin isn't our premier topical at this point in terms of an antibiotic. We now have three different clindamycin benzoyl peroxides available. The first two came out as a 5%. The first one was a BID. The second one was a QD. And now we have a once daily 2.5% gel. Anything with benzoyl peroxide can potentially bleach, so you have to tell your patients that. Then we had clindamycin tretinoin. We have two different topical combinations with just clindamycin tretinoin. The one issue I have with this is we have an unopposed clindamycin, so you have to utilize a benzoyl peroxide potentially at another time of day. And then finally, we have adapalene and benzoyl peroxide also utilizing the 2.5% once a day. How did these drugs do? Uh, the first of the topical clindamycin benzoyl peroxides was a BID combination. Um, what we ask for when we're doing an acne study is we ask to see how does the drug look with non-inflammatory bumps, or the blackheads and the whiteheads. How does the drug look for inflammatory bumps, which means the papules and the pustules? How does the drug look for overall bumps? And how many patients today, which wasn't true of when these studies were done, we also ask how many patients are clear or almost clear with the treatment regimen? So these were older studies. They just looked at non-inflammatory and inflammatory lesions. Notice that they didn't quite hit it. The combination was not quite better than the benzoyl peroxide alone for the non-inflammatory lesions, but it was for the inflammatory lesions, and it was statistically better than the other arms of the uh, ingredients. Here's the second combination, which is now just a once-daily uh, combination of, again, clindamycin and benzoyl peroxide gel. They did three, they did five initial phase three trials, three of which did show statistically significant difference between the combination drug versus the individual ingredients. And then the newest one has a 2.5% benzoyl peroxide. You might say, are we going to see lesser efficacy because we have the 2.5% as compared with the 5%? And the answer is no. It really comes down to formulation. And they did some initial studies looking at the in vitro absorption and found that the 2.5% benzoyl peroxide was, was equally well absorbed and got equally penetrated as the higher concentrations. And when we look at the efficacy parameters with the, the newer 2.5% benzoyl peroxide clindamycin, we see that they did reach statistical significance for the inflammatory, non-inflammatory, as well as the total lesion counts. The clindamycin tretinoin, the first one that came available, also we look inflammatory, non-inflammatory in total, and they reach statistical significance with the combination in each one of these parameters statistically better than the individual ingredients and the vehicle. Also notice, vehicle does okay. A lot of these vehicles are quite nice. Um, as, a, as an aside, part of it is also getting patients on board with a good cleansing regimen and just good cleansers, moisturizers. In one study that I did when we first started doing acne trials, we had a washout period. So patients came into the study, we counted them, we did everything, and then everybody went into a washout. And all we wanted everybody to be kind of pure so they had a two-week washout of using nothing except for purpose soap and purpose moisturizer. At the end of the two weeks, some of the patients no longer qualified. So a good treatment regimen can really help just getting patients on board with thinking about their skin, gentle cleansing, 
Don't scrub. Use a moisturizer, non-comedogenic when necessary. Good moisturizers are also important when you have any of the products that have uh, potentially some irritation, and all of these can cause at least some irritation. So non-comedogenic moisturizer is always important. The second of the clindamycin tretinoin combinations came available. Uh, this one, we, when we look at the individual parameters for inflammatory, didn't quite reach statistical significance as compared with the uh, with the clindamycin. Non-inflammatory, not quite statistically superior as compared with the benzoyl peroxide, but it was statistically uh, better than, than all the other arms when we look at those patients who were clear, or almost clear, and also had at least a two-grade improvement in their um, investigator's global assessment score. Adapalene benzoyl peroxide is the, the, the uh, newest of the combinations to come available. Same thing, all of these are forearm studies. This is treatment success. And as I mentioned, you know, the bar has been getting higher and higher. And with these newer combinations and, and the newer psoriasis drugs and eczema drugs, we used to have treatment success according to the FDA meant you pick a target area and it had to be 50% improved in that target and that was a treatment success. Then they said, okay, now mm, that's not good enough. Now you have to have 75% improvement in that target area. Now that's a treatment success. Well, now the FDA has put the bar up here. And so for a treatment success for acne or psoriasis, it has to be, the patient has to be clear or almost clear with just using that one, one drug. And, and often they have to have a, a two-grade improvement, meaning they had to go, if you start out with mild disease, you had to be completely clear. If you start out with moderate disease, you could be clear or almost clear. So the bar for these are very, very high. These drugs have to work well as monotherapy in order to be, in order to be approved. So here we look at this one. At one week, it was statistically better than the individual arms, and we see that improvement continuing over the course of the 12 weeks. What's interesting is there was a, a recent study that was published looking at the anti-inflammatory properties of adapalene and benzoyl peroxide, and then putting the, incubating the two together. And they looked at some of the inflammatory markers that we see commonly in acne. And we found that when we look at incubating with adapalene alone and look at the response to the um, inflammatory markers, a little bit of a response, but not that much. Looking at benzoyl peroxide alone, again, a little bit of a response, but not that much. But the ac activity of the two together had much greater effect on the anti-inflammatory markers than did um, the individual ingredients. And that's probably because we're coming at acne with, with different mechanisms of action. There was a long-term, year-long study looking at the combination of the adapalene benzoyl peroxide. And what I think is important from looking at long-term studies is looking at what happens over the course of time. When we stop a 12-week long study, most of the lines are still trending down. You know, it's, it, acne is potentially a lifelong disease, and we stop it at 12 weeks. Well, what's happening to those lines? Like, how long is it going to go down? And we see with these year-long studies that it takes about four months to see the peak effect in uh, the treatment. So you can tell patients at one month, you're going to start to definitely see flattening downs of your bumps. Two months, they should be looking a lot better. Three months, it's better. But four months is when you're going to see the peak efficacy. And you can see that, that you can get patients under control, but it, maintain control, you've got to keep using the drug. And if you do, no tachyphylaxis develops that you are able to maintain efficacy with the drug. Tolerability issues, especially if you're talking about patients who are using a topical retinoid, you're going to see some irritation within the first two weeks. So with any of these products, with, if I'm worried about irritation, I might say to a patient, especially somebody who's, who's, you know, is not going to tolerate any irritation, I might say, go ahead and use the drug every other night for the first two weeks and then work up to every night. I also advise my patient, 
if you get a little breadness and sloughing of the skin and it starts to peel, remember, people pay a lot of money for that for their chemical peels. So a little bit of a slough is not a bad thing. Uh, this, this drug was also studied in patients who had more severe acne. You know, we talk a lot about monotherapy with these drugs, but in real life, we have patients who have much more severe acne, and they're not going to do okay with just one topical once a day. So this study looked at patients who had more severe acne. Actually, on average, they had about 100 acne lesions on their face, and they looked at combining it with an oral antibiotic. Everybody got doxycycline, 100 milligrams once a day. Half the patients got the combination adapalene benzoyl peroxide. Half of them got vehicle. And then after 12 weeks, if they did well, in those patients who did well, they were, in a, they were allowed to go into a second half of the study where patients were allowed to just use topical alone to see if you could maintain efficacy. In this environment of increased bacterial resistance, we have to start thinking about getting our patients off oral, oral antibiotics much more quickly than we did in the past. Five years ago, I had patients on oral antibiotics forever. I mean, I didn't really think about it. As long as they were healthy and they didn't have any liver problems, you can stay on for a long time. Now we have resistance. There's some literature that questions whether or not there's an increase in irritable bowel disease. I really try to say, let's, let's have a goal of trying to get you off your oral antibiotic once you're controlled and maintain you on a good topical. And what was found was, after the first 12 weeks, did the, the combination topical add anything to this already good oral antibiotic? And what we see is, yeah, it did. Doxycycline alone only enabled 8% of patients to be clear, almost clear after, eight week, after 12 weeks, versus 32% when you use a potent topical with the oral antibiotic. And what I think is interesting is look at the reduction of inflammatory lesions. This is oral antibiotic alone. Notice that after eight weeks, we start to see a plateau when we use just doxycycline alone. But when we use doxycycline in combination with a topical, especially a topical that contains benzoyl peroxide, notice that at the eight weeks, now we're starting to accelerate. We're getting even more improvement in the inflammatory lesions. And it's probably this drug was studied in resistant strains of P. acnes. And what we find was, no matter what strains you were, notice that 27% were, were resistant to clindamycin, 22 to doxy, erythro, monocycline, tetracycline, and treat those patients with the combination topical that has a good benzoyl peroxide. And notice that after two weeks, 88% of the resistant strains were killed, and after four weeks, almost 97% were killed. So it makes sense. Utilize the benzoyl peroxide, you're going to get better efficacy than just using an antibiotic alone. And then were we able to stop the drug and still maintain success? In patients who got at least a 50% improvement, they were stopped and then re-randomized either to vehicle or maintained on the topical. And this shows, at least in some patients, you should be able to stop the oral antibiotic and maintain the efficacy just with the topical alone. Just some pictures at baseline. Here they are using the combination for 12 weeks. And here they are now after uh, stopping for 12 weeks and just using the topical alone. So in conclusion, one of the things that we have to struggle with is really maintaining realistic expectations for our patients. Acne is a chronic disease. They're going to go on the internet and they're going to find places that will promise them acne-free in three days or a good diet that's going to cure them of their acne. You know, they're going to see things on TV that will zap the zit and, and get it under control. We have to educate them that this is a chronic disease. It's like diabetes, high blood pressure. We have to treat you. We have to 
we have to maintain control. Just because your skin looks clear does not mean that you can, you can stop treatment. Uh, I usually try to talk about clinical trials and educate them what they're going to see at one month, two months, three months, four months, a year. I try to be non-judgmental, and this is what I advise everybody when a patient comes in. You, you treat them, you know, have absolutely no expectations. A lot of times patients come in and they'll say to me, I'm not better, it doesn't work. And I used to be, especially when I first started out, very defensive and I would quick to say, okay, let's switch, let's try something else then, you know, okay, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. Well, if you're constantly switching, you're gonna run out of things very quickly. Take a step back. The first question you ask is, did you get a chance to fill your prescription? Because sometimes it's no. And if they say yes, you give them praise, good work. And then you say, have you had a chance to try it yet? And yeah, good, okay, so you know, how many times a week would you say you, you use it? And think back to you know, when you were taking an alcohol history you know, in training, you'd ask patients, what do you do? You drink a case a day? Oh no, just a pint, okay. You, know, you have low expectations and then they'll be more likely to tell you the truth. So you use it once a week, twice a week, how often do you use it? One patient who came in told me they were on a great treatment regimen and they said to me, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I said, okay, just explain to me, how do you use it? And this is when you say, are you dotting it on or are you using it on your whole face? No, I'm putting it right where it needs it. Well, you know, if you're gonna put it right where it needs it, you're gonna be having to use it every single day because the new one is gonna be coming up the next day and the next day and the next day. So, you know, have low expectations, just ask them to go ahead and try it, you know, continue to, to reinforce uh, compliance because if they use it, it, it should work no matter what the treatment is. And we have a lot of different options out there. Nothing is great for everybody, but, but I think with the options that we have, we can get good control, especially with combination therapy. And that, at this point, any, any questions, comments? Can you comment on um is there anything in acne right now or in the literature right now that states that there is a dietary uh, issue that works with, with acne? Or, I mean, the doctor that used to work with us is saying that yes, there is, but I'm reading literature that says no, there's not, and uh, I'm a little confused. <laughs> yeah, and you should be confused, because when I was a teenager, I was told chocolate, french fries, anything greasy is going to flare up my acne. And then we went with a pendulum pendulum went the whole other way and they said, you know what, no, that is a myth, that is absolutely not true. Diet and acne, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, you know what, it is true. Diet does have something to do with acne and there's a lot of studies that are out there and we don't have great evidence right now. We do know that things that um, increase your glycemic index, and I tell patients the white foods, white bread, white pasta, carbohydrates, things that, that raise the sugar levels quickly in your blood have been shown to um, to exacerbate acne. We've seen studies with patients who changed their, moved from one area to the United States and changed their diet, now have acne where they didn't before. Uh, there are some studies that suggest that milk might contribute to acne. Some people say, there are studies that say maybe uh, skim milk. I don't, you know, and I, I've talked to this with some of my colleagues, I don't tell patients not to drink milk. I don't think that the data is strong enough, and I think the benefits of milk, especially for young kids and teenagers, probably outweighs any risk of acne. Uh, but there, there are definitely dietary considerations. Um, we ha there's a lot more B vitamins. You know, when we do acne studies now, if you're on particular B vitamins, we exclude you. Um, supplements. So there are things we know. Certain drugs, obviously, um, lithium, things like that. But um, 
so the answer is yes, but I think we don't understand the full picture. Three questions, one regarding the milk. Do you think organic is better than the milk that has hormones in it? I, I don't think we have the full answer yet. And, and there are some studies that have been done, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, I just don't know. I think that we're going to find out, and I think there are people that are looking into it, but and I think milk is going to be really at the center of attention. But I, I don't know enough about it to advise my patients one way or the other. I just don't think the data is strong enough yet. Second question, does benzoyl peroxide reduce drug resistance with people taking oral antibiotics? Yes. Yes. And third question, do you use blue light at all with acne? And if so, do you use Levulin with it? We do have blue lights. Um, I haven't been wildly impressed, and we do have it at my center, and some people use it. Uh, the only time I would go to it is if a patient was not a, a candidate for oral isotretinoin. I have very low threshold for, for oral isotretinoin, and in my hands, if a patient, if I put you on a good topical and oral combination and you're not doing better, um, and I give you a, a good trial of an antibiotic. And, and you know what, three months is kind of small. Sometimes I don't go three months. Usually I'll go four months, maybe I'll go six months. But if you're not doing well, I'll probably go there. And if you're not a candidate for that, antibiotics aren't, aren't working as well, that's when I'll go to a, a PDT. But it, it's, it's much lower down on my, on my list. Two related questions combining medications. I have uh, medical assistant patients and some with private insurance where they just can't afford the new uh, combination medication. So if I'm using a benzoyl peroxide, does that go on first and then the topical retinoid? And then what about moisturizers? Should they go on first and then the retinoid or vice versa? Um, okay, so if they're on, uh, if they're looking for, for inexpensive medicines, that, that's fine. The issue though is if they're using, if you're writing for generic, uh, a generic retinoid, they're probably going to get a generic tretinoin. You, they have to be careful, and you've got to separate the tretinoin from the benzoyl peroxide. Usually one is in the morning and one is in the evening. Um, you know, I used to be a fan of not combining. When, whenever you have a topical and you combine one topical on top of the other, you never know what you're going to get. And there are some beautiful studies that look at combination therapy using what's called a Franz, Franz chamber, where they take like tummy tuck skin and they put it on a chamber and they apply different medicines to see what, what one vehicle does to another vehicle. And what I can tell you is, if you have a drug that's an ointment and another drug that's an ointment, say, going back to our psoriasis talk, say you wanted to use uh, topical steroid ointment and vitamin D ointment. If you put ointment on top of ointment, basically what you did was you diluted out the potency 50% of both topicals. Okay, so you, get, you decrease the penetration of both. If you put a cream on and then an ointment, or you put a foam on and then an ointment, you're, the ointment potentially drives the, uh, the topical in. If you put a cream on and a moisturizer, you know, I, I used to say don't do anything, just put my drug on and then put something else on another time of day. But there are some studies that show that actually moisturizers, by hydrating the skin, sometimes actually allow better penetration of the, the next topical that you use. But the bottom line is, unless it's really been studied, you don't know how two vehicles are going to interact. So the safest thing, if you're using a solution, like a clindamycin solution, put it on, let it dry, and then put something else on is fine. Um, a, lot of, a lot of newer studies have shown that it doesn't make any difference, the order, 
but unless it's studied, you have to be careful. You've got to kind of know, know the vehicle and know what it's going to do. The, uh, the traditional foam products in, in psoriasis evaporate very quickly, so you can then put something else on, and it, it doesn't, that, that vehicle doesn't impact the other vehicles. But it's, you should be okay to put a moisturizer on and then put your other, it doesn't make that much of a difference. On the subject of um, topical products and acne, do you have any brief comments about makeup? Um, because I'm always being asked, well, you know, what makeup should I use and what makeup's okay? I know that's a big topic, big subject, but if you have any just brief comments, I'd appreciate it. So the, 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 the discussion of makeup and acne, you know, I, I generally am kind of broad with them and I say, please look for the words non-comedogenic and just explain to them non-comedogenic means won't cause acne. So anything that's, that's an oil-based, I ask them to shy away from. Uh, I give them some brand names, but a lot of the makeup that's really, really glamorous is also oil-based and it, and it is comedogenic. So that's the, just the number one thing. I just say, please use a non-comedogenic product. In patients who uh, do a lot of hair stuff, you know, they have to realize that anything that goes on their hair potentially will, will cause a problem with the skin, so you have to educate them on, on that as well. Um, but patients cause a lot of their own acne. You know, you just look at it. I, a big thing that I tell my patients is, you know, everybody exercises, especially kids. My kids are tennis players. And what kind of just disgusts me is my sons will go out and play like six hours of tennis, then they'll come home and the first thing they do is not shower. You know? and, and if you look at a patient, you'll see that acne all the way down the back in the sweat areas. So I ask them, you know, and women, anyone, please, the first thing you do should be just go home, jump in the shower, make sure you're wearing clothes that, that breathe. Uh, sometimes they'll take something with them, the, the medications that will come in a towelette. They can wipe down with it, but, but just get in the shower as quickly as possible. And I usually... If possible, I, in my own shower at home, we have benzoyl peroxide washes because at least I know that everyone in my house, for some reason, everybody uses my shower. No matter how many showers, everybody's in my shower. So I have everything. The guests who sleep over, they're all in my shower. So I know everybody uses benzoyl peroxide wash, so at least we're getting that on. But with some of the data, you know, at least it's got to stay on for 20 seconds. And with some of the data on the truncal acne, you know, probably the best thing would probably be putting it on even before you get in the shower and then rinsing it off once it gets in. It's, you probably need higher contact for the washes, if you're talking about the trunk, more like a two minute as opposed to a 20 second. I've got a lot of um, male patients. They take all these muscle supplements, muscle milk, whey, protein, all this yeah. other stuff. Um, is there, is that okay for them to be on that? Do you think there's any link to acne? with any of those, and what would you suggest? Would you tell them to stop, or are some, some okay, some not okay? You know, I just, I don't think that the data is strong enough. And there, there are, right now, I think diet and acne is really opening up in, in an entire new chapter, and we're looking at carbohydrates, we're looking at cer certain fats and certain supplements, but I don't, I don't give them, I just came from an acne uh, meeting in Brazil, and their diet and acne, they're all over it. They have all these things that they worry about and supplements they, they lift in this list and this whole big discussion of, of diet and acne is huge down there. Whereas up here, I think we're looking more towards the evidence-based medicine before we make great recommendations. 
I have an issue, I were always worry about the protein load in those patients, more for their kidneys and everything else. I'm not sure how safe they are. So I worry about it just as their, for their overall health. They, I ask them to d double check with their, their internist that they're safe. One of my toughest challenges is closed comedomal acne. I either have retinoids or these mechanical brushes to throw at them. Do you have any magic you use? For closed comedonal acne? Um, some people will use chemical peels to try to, to jumpstart it. Um, when we're looking at the topical retinoids, probably the one that is the, the best on it is the topical tazeratine. We did all the clinical trials with tazeratine and adapalene and tretinoin. I think tazeratine, especially in the gel formulation, is probably the best at getting the comedones. Problem is tolerability is, is really tough when you're going with the tazeratine gel, and especially the higher strength tazeratine gel. It is tough to tolerate. So if you have a greasy teenage boy, you usually are gonna tolerate it a whole lot better than me. I can't, I can't tolerate it. So some people talk about short contact. Um, some people will go in there and just do some acne surgery and really try to open it and get, get, them, get it out. But it can be tough, and it's a long-term process. You know, it, it, it takes a while. Have you tried to jumpstart them with uh, dermabrasion with any effectiveness? I, I don't personally do dermabrasion, and uh, we, don't offer it, we don't offer it in my office. More, they'll go to a, to a higher strength chemical peel. Can you talk about uh, best practice guidelines and advice for uh, pregnant patients? Yeah, pregnant patients. Um, the only drug that is pregnancy category B is azelaic acid. So if you're worried about it, azelaic acid is pregnancy category B. Um, we used to tell patients that like oral erythromycin was okay and there was a study that came out that found a link with a potential congenital heart defect with erythromycin, so we don't recommend that. Um, so if it's first trimester pregnancy, it's gonna be azelaic acid. You know, my pregnancies, I use topical retinoids in isolated areas. It's probably fine, but medical legally, I will not do that. So I tell patients, if you're planning pregnancy, if you miss a period, you're basically to stop everything. Benzoyl peroxide is pregnancy category C. Um, clindamycin, I think, is also a C. But, but if you want to be safe, you, go, you can go with the, the azelaic acid. It's tough because a lot of people flare during pregnancy, and I was, I was one of them. And, you know, you just especially people who are, you know, the flaring ones are usually the ones that took, you know, a million years to get pregnant and they're finally pregnant and they're having this awful acne outbreak. So usually they just, and, and if I want to do something else, I'll, I'll clear it with their, have them clear it with their obstetrician. But people tend to be, at least where I am, they're, they're very, very cautious first trimester. Hi, um, I routinely will start my new acne patients um, in the morning with some sort of clindamycin product, usually a lotion or the Pledget and then I'll do epidural at night. So I know you were kind of speaking as far as, um, is that sufficient for the whole antibiotic resistance thing? And then to his point, he mentioned the Clarisonic device, which my supervising physician, he kind of just blows that off. So your opinion on that? You know what, I'm sorry, I missed your first part of your question. What are you doing in the morning? Um, clindamycin, either lotion or pledget, and then um, epidural at night. So with the it's fine as long as there's a benzoyl peroxide on board. At some point, you're fine. You're, you should be covered with resistance. The things that we don't know and we don't understand is how much benzoyl peroxide do we need? Could we use it twice a week or three times a week in order to prevent resistance? Because that's in real life probably what happens is they don't use everything every day. So. 
the studies are not done where we look in real life and say, okay, well, how little do we have to have on board in order to prevent resistance? Because in these studies, they're really doing it, you know, they're looking at using a gel in contact with the skin and, and using it, you know, under supervised conditions. But, but you're fine. Uh, the clarisonic, you know, I haven't, I honestly haven't seen the studies to know enough about it to, in terms of, of how much additive benefit it, it, it's, it's adding. It's, it's expensive too. Any other questions? Okay, thank you very much.